Welcome to the Fake Podcast Episode 6. For people who still don't know, Fake stands for Fashion for Animal Kingdom and Environment. And the goal of our podcast is to educate ourselves by creating inspiring conversation with powerful guests. And today we receive Emma Hawkinson. She's an ethical model and founder of Collective Fashion Justice. At only 22 years old, she already has a huge knowledge on the impact of the fashion industry. And I think I will let you introduce yourself and we can start from there. Thank you. So, hi, I'm Emma. I'm the founder of and director of Collective Fashion Justice. And that's a non-profit that is working towards a total ethics fashion system. So that means one that prioritizes the well-being and safety of all animals, non-human and human, as well as the planet. And we try to do that by working on investigative and educational campaigns. We write reports, we work for legislative change, and we also have a social media presence to try to make that education more accessible to a wider community. I'm also a writer. I have a book out next year and I've worked in the fashion industry as a creative director, producer and model. Prior to this, I've also worked at animal rights organisations. So all of that past experience kind of came together to make me realise that it's a total ethics fashion system that I most need to work towards. That's very impressive. When I when I was 22, I mean, I'm not, I said that like I'm like I'm 60 years old. <laughs> but when I was 22, I didn't even knew what veganism means. So that's very impressive to see everything you do. And uh, yeah, and everybody who's listening right now, if you, you probably know fakes, you probably follow the fake movement. So I'm telling you right now, if there's another account you have to follow on Instagram, it's Collective Fashion Justice. Uh, it's it's very inspiring. It inspired me as well to to create posts. Sometimes I see what you talk about, and I'm like, wow, she's right. And it actually feels good because uh, before your account, I felt kind of alone. People don't really take vegan fashion seriously. Um, I don't know if you want to share your thought on that. How do you feel uh, that vegan fashion is represented? Yeah, I think that while the you know, movement of people who recognize that ethical fashion needs to be animal free is growing. It's it's so much smaller than the wider ethical fashion movement is. The amount of people who talk about, you know, no even when we look at fair labor rights, which is an incredibly important topic, but people often use the slogan, no one should die for fashion. And they're talking about garment workers. And of course that's true. But you know, they're forgetting this whole other group of individuals that are killed for fashion mm. in a completely, you know, considered normal way. And that's non-human animals like cows, like sheep, like crocodiles. And so I think that can be a real challenge to extend these people's, you know, circle of compassion beyond, you know, some people don't care about anything to do with their fashion. They just buy what they like. So it's great that people care about humans, but we need to see that all individuals deserve safety and respect in the fashion system. Yeah, and I feel we're getting there because fur is getting banned all over the world. Uh, people are still uh, wearing leather probably because they believe it is a byproduct. Uh, mm. So now we need to educate ourselves and realize that it is not a byproduct. And even if it was, it is the product who have the worst impact on our environment. The production of leather is actually way worse than the production of even plastic. So yes. 
And uh, yeah, so I, I wanted actually to talk to you now because I saw your amazing documentary. It's a whole journey toward uh, the creation of a sustainable brand. And um, yeah, the name is Willow and Claude. And so who are Willow and Claude? <laughs> so the short documentary is named after two little orphaned lambs who I fostered when they were only a couple of days old until they were old enough to move on to the sanctuary, which is their forever home, which they're still happily living at. And they were both rescued from the wool industry. They were left to die of hypothermia or starvation in the winter lambing season here in Australia. And each year in that season, 10 to 15 million lambs die in the first 48 hours of their lives from starvation, neglect or exposure to the cold. And that's because the wool industry chooses to breed into winter rather than into spring for the sake of reduced feed costs. And at the same time, there's selective breeding happening, which is also for the sake of increased profits, but which is also at the expense of the sheep. So mm. I thought that they were very fitting, you know, namesakes for a documentary about knitwear that didn't have all of that harm tied up in it. Mm. So now I'm going to ask you the question that I'm sure you heard a lot. So we don't kill the sheep. We don't, we just remove their hair. So how it is unethical. <laughs> so yeah, in short, there is no ethical wool. And that's the, fa the case because of a whole lot of different reasons. So to start with, there are a whole lot of mutilative practices involved in the wool industry. So a lot of people have heard of mulesing and that's still legal to different degrees in Australia, which is the main wool producing country. But there's also tail docking where, you know, the lambs when they're very young have their tails cut off with hot knives and that's legal without pain relief here. And, you know, that's obviously not ethical, but even if you look beyond things like that, we have to recognise that the wool industry actually is a slaughter industry and that's something that surprises a lot of people because it's true, it's not skin, it is just the wool, so like their fur or hair. But sheep in the wool industry are there because they are seen as commodities. They're not treated like individuals. So when they're no longer profitable because their wool is you know, even if they're born and their wool isn't the correct colour, they're just slaughtered straight away. And mm. when they get to be about five to six years old, which is like halfway into their natural lifespan, their wool becomes, you know, more thin and brittled the same way that our hair, you know, mm. changes as we get older. And so they're just slaughtered and sometimes they're sent into live export. So that's definitely part of the wool industry people don't understand. Um, but even if all of that, didn't happen just hypothetically because it does <laughs> wool is inherently exploitative and unethical because it's based upon this commodification of sheep you know we don't look at a dog with thick curly hair and think oh I've just cut your hair for summer and so I think now I'll make a sweater out of it that's such a weird idea to us because we don't see our companion dogs as objects and we don't see their fur as a product we see them as an individual and that's very different to the way that we've been conditioned to see sheep so if we changed 
our perception of these animals who ultimately are the same in all of the ways that matter, we'd realise that wool isn't ethical. Mm. Yeah, it's actually remind me of uh, something I often talk about is uh, the fact that there is dog leather. Um, many yeah. When you say that to people working with leather, they get a little upset, but it is true. It is a fact there's over like 2 million, I think, of, of uh, dogs that are killed every year uh, in China. And it's even maybe more, but I, I think it's it's the number I remember, but it, it might be even more. Um, and uh, and they are supposedly byproduct as well because they kill them for their meat and they use their, their skin. Uh, however, it's labeled as genuine leather. So mm-hmm. when you buy a piece of leather seeing genuine leather, there's no way to know if it is a cow or dogs or anything. And when I say that to people, they get horrified when it's, I mean, why you get upset for that when wearing cows, it's totally fine. So and labeling laws, that's why they're so important because, you know, people often don't even realize that they're wearing an animal at all because of poor labeling laws. So I think... Mm-hmm. It's important both for highlighting people's, you know, moral inconsistencies perhaps, but also for actually helping people to be aware when they want to be. Mm. I saw also a horrible video with uh, in the wool industry. I, I couldn't believe that's what that was what I was looking at. Uh, they put like 20 sheep compact in a huge cage and they put them in a in a, like pesticide or something in chemicals yeah for like but the whole entire body with they fully the, dunk them yeah yeah for like 20 seconds and i mm-hmm. i don't even think i can stay 20 seconds in, in water so in pesticide i i don't know how they do did, did you already saw something like that is it something that happened often yeah so it's called sheep dipping which it's often made out by the industry to sound like putting a little bit of you know anti-lice treatment on the back of your dog's neck or something but that's not how they do it because that would be you know time consuming and time is money for this industry and money is ultimately what it's all about Mm. so they just dunk all of these sheep in this you know anti-pesticide kind of substance like you've said and it's extremely stressful for the sheep because a they're under this liquid they're that would have never happened to them before Mm. and they're all packed in together and they're prey animals ultimately in the wild. So any threat is incredibly stressful for them. So it's definitely part of the wool industry that it's good people are starting to be more aware of because I'm sure, you know, there are even more things that we don't know happens but that does happen. Yeah, and people like to say that it's a natural product but everything around is unnatural. Just farming animals is unnatural. Uh, giving them uh, uh, seed and corn to, to eat, it's not natural. Like everything around is not natural. What you just talked about that they put their entire body in pesticide, this is not natural. So this product is not natural. Yeah, and even if they are eating grass, you know, the grass that sheep are grazing is on cleared land that used to be a really biodiverse you know, grassland or forest. And that's a big part of the conversation that's often not discussed. And so is the wool scouring process where, you know, when you shear a wool off the back of a sheep, it's greasy because it has lanolin in it. And so it has to go through what's normally a very chemical heavy process 
to remove that and the wool is bleached and things are added to the wool. Mm. So it's really not, it's not the way people imagine it at all. No. People often love to ask as well about uh, secondhand wool. Um, or people who live in a sanctuary, they have this ship, they're going to take the wool anyway. Isn't it better to create a piece out of it? So what are your thoughts on that? So my thoughts on that are similar to what I was saying before about wool being inherently tied up in the commodification of the animals. I don't think that we can wear a part of someone regardless of how it came to us without that kind of, you know, acknowledging that there is some acceptable level of objectification that can be done to that animal. I think that it often in terms of, you know, if there was a secondhand sweater that was made of human hair or if there was a secondhand jacket made of human leather, mm. it wouldn't matter how they came. It just wouldn't be something that I'd be comfortable with. And I think that most people would be the same. And the difference there is that we see humans are different to sheep, of course, but we see them as deserving completely different rights. We don't think that sheep have the right to their own life. We don't think that the sheep even have, you know, the rights to safety that we have. And so I think if we, yeah, if we think through that, a lot of people might come to that same conclusion. Yeah, I agree. A thousand percent. And uh, I often use uh, as an example that um, fashion is an external expression of yourself. So mm. you want to be in line with what you wear. And the same way, even if it's ethical, you can have the most ethical T-shirts. But if on it you have the face of a dictator, you wouldn't want to wear that because you don't like the message that it, it gives. So that's what yeah. I feel with leather and wool. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> So, so that's a small part of your documentary because I really want people to see it and I don't want them to think, oh, it's overwhelmed and everything. That, that's a small part. And then you have a huge part about solutions and about uh, beautiful alternatives. And um, so, yeah, how, how did you meet Rene? Let, tell us a little more about Rene. So I came across Rene in my research towards a total ethics plant-based fibre that could be used in knitwear production because I knew that I obviously didn't want to use wool but I also didn't want to use synthetics. Mm -hmm. And Renee is an Australian cotton farmer who is actually an expert in the field on sustainability. She uses fair labour on the farm, rotational cropping for soil health and a lot of other different environmentally friendly practices. Can and you, Sorry, can you explain what is rotation for people who don't know? Because I, I learned actually that. Yeah, so rotational cropping is basically she doesn't grow cotton all of the time, every season. She will grow chickpeas or another legume often in the same field that she will later grow her cotton on and that's because nitrogen is really important for soil health and cotton can take out a fair bit of nitrogen from the soil and so when you put a legume in those crops are nitrogen fixing and so they're good for the soil and so it's a kind of it's a nice way to balance mm. the environment it's also good to reduce the risk of you know insects coming in and harming the crop without needing to use so many chemicals on the crop 
So it's a, it's a really great method that is increasingly common. Um, so Renee uses that and I visited her on her farm, which is in rural Queensland, which is another state in Australia where I live. And I went there to learn about all of the different ways that she grows cotton, how it's different to some of the more standard practices and what the benefit of that is. And it was really great to see that because not only is it great to see, you know, a really viable alternative to wool and to synthetics, but also to be able to see the full supply chain of a garment is incredible and too rare. It, you know, that sort of transparency should be the norm across the fashion industry, but it's not at all. Mm. And to see that, you know, on my bedside table, I have a cotton bud that she gave me from the field of cotton. And now the knitwear that we're selling to support our nonprofit is from the same field as that little bud. And that's amazing. You know, so many fashion brands have no idea where their raw materials are coming from. Mm. And was it easy to find her? Because that's something many uh, designers will say, oh, it's too complicated. We, we cannot trace where the, the cotton comes from or whatever. It definitely took a lot longer than if I was happy to create a supply chain that I you know, didn't care about. Mm. You can go and get garments that are knockoffs on AliExpress if you want to for $2, but that's mm. obviously not ethical. And I think that just as important as designing the actual garment in terms of what it will aesthetically look like, how it will fit, is designing your supply chain and working out what's actually going to go into the making of that garment. So I just think that, yeah, it is harder, but it's the responsibility of any good fashion designer. Exactly. That's I, I love that. <laughs> and so how can we trust farmers? Because you went all the way there, but some people, they, they don't want to go there. So I know there's some certifications like GOTS uh, or many different types of certification. Can we trust them? Um, if you know any one that are 100% reliable, which one will it be? And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's a good point. Plant-based farming systems, they aren't inherently completely ethical or sustainable just because they're animal free though in order to be ethical and sustainable you do need to be animal free so certifications definitely are a good way to address that Renee's farm was certified under Australia's my best management practice program which has a huge amount of criteria that covers different sustainability requirements as well as fair work requirements And there are other good certifications as well, like the Global Organic Textile Standard that you mentioned. Mm. Um, there's also the Fair Trade certification, which is really great for specifically the labor side of things. Um, and the Global Recycling Standard is also really good for, you know, materials that genuinely are recycled because both with organic and recycled there are more brands saying that that's what their product is made of than is actually possible. So if you don't have a certification, it can be difficult to know that you're actually paying for what you think you're paying for. Hmm. And so if, uh, if someone wants to start a brand tomorrow or start a, an ethical wardrobe as a consumer, what will be your first advice? <laughs> 
as a brand or as someone who, you know, suddenly needs to buy all new clothes, the first thing definitely would be actually just to ask questions before you buy. I could say a lot more specific things like, you know, no animal-derived materials. But Mm -hmm. I think if we start with questions, that's a really good place to look at because too often we're buying without actually thinking about anything except for that we like it. We're not asking if the garment workers are paid a living wage. We're not asking if it even is an animal-derived material. You know, sometimes... I've had someone tell me that they don't wear leather and then I've asked what their shoes are made of and they've gone, oh, yeah, I think that they might be made of cow leather actually. And that's a huge thing to have not paid attention to before you put money into something. And so I think, yeah, if we start with asking questions and then buy things that we genuinely understand the impact of, that would make a huge change. And so I'm about to put you on the spot right now. I love to do that. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, let's say that I'm wearing leather and, and all of that. You have one minute, 30 seconds, one minute to convince me to stop uh, and to have a vegan fashion wardrobe. What would you say? <laughs> I think people care a lot about sustainability as they should. So I would say that animal-derived materials are the most environmentally impactful to produce of all of them, even worse than synthetics, because of the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that come from their production, often the water use that comes from them. Land degradation and deforestation is huge. You know, 80% of the Amazon's deforestation is because of cattle ranching, which is tied to leather and beef production. And on those same ranches, Animals are being exploited, you know, they're often having their faces branded before they're slaughtered. And at the Mm. same time, there's often forced labor documented there, and slaughterhouse workers are often mistreated and end up with perpetration induced stress disorder because ultimately, no one actually wants to kill animals. And we're just in this system that has normalized cruelty on a massive scale, but that also doesn't want to look at it because it's not something that's natural to us so if we consider all of that I think it's really just if you can do it if you could actually go in a slaughterhouse and kill cows every day pull off their skins go and dip them in chemicals it's like if after that you genuinely could wear leather let's talk again but if not I think you know it's clear what we should be doing when we're buying clothes Mm. I totally agree. That's what I often say. It's uh, there's so many uh, TV show. Um, I mean, it's not fashion; it's food. But I'm sure you will get my point. Where mm. you see uh, you see them cutting carrots, tomatoes, and preparing this, and you're like, mm, that, "That look delicious." But you're never gonna see them take the animal, cutting the head, and will be like, mm, "That's so amazing," <laughs> you know. So yeah. kind of the same, yeah. Um, totally. So you have something going on right now that you support and uh, you actually inspired me to make a post about this, which is uh, the hashtag drop cor- uh, croc. So if you want to talk a little bit about this. <laughs> yeah, so we have collaborated on elements of Kindness Project's campaign drop croc, which is targeting Hermes and asking them to stop killing crocodiles for their you know, incredibly expensive handbags because 
they own the factory farms that native Australian crocodiles are confined in here. These are animals who have lived on this land for around 100 million years and they're, you know, a sacred totem to some Indigenous groups. They're important to the ecosystem and yet today more of them live in cages and in concrete pens than out in their natural habitat and they're killed at about two years old when their natural lifespan is around like 70 years old. So there's a huge amount of problems there, obviously. And Kindness Project, alongside the Farm Transparency Project, which supplied the footage, my organisation and a bunch of organisations have kind of joined together in a coalition to build this pressure campaign against the brand. And we need as many people as possible to join in on that. So if anyone is interested, there's information on our site and on our social media and also at dropcroc.com. And, yeah, I think it's a campaign that could make some real change in the fashion industry. Mm. Yeah, and thank you so much for that. And so what is the future of collective fashion justice or if you have any other projects that's coming up? So we will continue to keep working for a total ethics fashion system. There's a lot of exciting things that we have coming both fairly soon and in the more distant future. We have a sustainability report around the impact of wool coming out alongside mm. the Centre for Biological Diversity. We have a total ethics fashion primer, which is like a free booklet that will be coming out soon that we'll send to anyone who wants it around the world. We're also currently working on two other campaigns related to you know, animal harm in fashion and a report also on gender-based violence in the fashion industry. So there's a quite diverse array of work and I think it will all hopefully get us closer to this goal of a total ethics fashion system. Nice. Can't wait to see everything that's coming up. Everything you do is amazing. Thank you so much for everything. And uh, everybody should go right now, check Collective Fashion Justice on Instagram. And there's no way you're not going to learn something new. Uh, every every post you have are, are well-designed and you always learn something new. So I, I love it. And um, yeah, so thank you so much. I don't know if you want to share anything uh, before we end, any website, any newsletter, any place we should I think you've follow. covered it well. Like through the Instagram, you can get to the website. On the website, you can sign up to, you know, get more updates from us. So, yeah, I think you've covered it. Thank you. Great. So thank you so much for being in our podcast. And, um, yeah, we'll keep in touch for sure. <laughs> thank you for having me.